morning. We're going to worship now as, as we're going to listen to what God is going to bring to us through um, Pastor Elder um, Susan Folkler. And so I just want to encourage you, open up your hearts, because in case you haven't listened to Susan, there's always some really good heart surgery going on. God, very gentle, don't worry, he provides his own anesthesia, uh, but it's always to make you a more truer version of who you really are. That's his goal always. So would you please welcome and bless and honor Susan Folkler. Okay, just to make you feel better, (laughs) I had some major heart surgery of my own this week and spent about an hour snobbing all over, smothering all over everything. So, yeah, I've been there, done that. (laughs) But I will say some, I'll I'll talk about that in a little bit. Some really good stuff happened for me. Yay, God. You know how sometimes you're like, is this ever going to change God? But, like, he's right on time. We get impatient, and we think he's like, have you not noticed what I'm going through, God? It's like, yes, he does every time he notices. So, Domalee, <laughs> I don't think you knew what I was going to speak on tonight either. So, living as sons and daughters is exactly what I was going to speak on tonight. <laughs> And that's pretty much what we were singing about a lot tonight. And I know this is a common theme we do talk about here, but I don't think we can ever get it really deep enough on this side. So, um, oh. And Bill Painter factors in tonight, too, so it's cool that he's here tonight. Anyway, so, um, yeah, let's pray. Jesus, um, I thank you that you are fully aware and tuned in to every single person in this room and any that might be listening someday on the podcast also. You are tuned in, you are fully aware, you are engaged, and you care. And you're a good, good papa. And you you know when you need to come slow and you know when you can move more quickly And you always know exactly what we need. And Jesus, tonight I am just asking for each of us that you'd just give us grace to open our ears and open our hearts to receive exactly that aspect of who you are in a deeper way for each one of us. Because I know for each of us it's going to look a little different. Because we're all a little different on the inside. Um, But thank you, Jesus. There is never an end to knowing the fullness of your love. It just keeps going deeper, Jesus. So thank you now for what you're going to do, and thank you for your grace to see it accomplished, Jesus. Amen. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about what it is to live as a son, what it is to live as a daughter, And I'm still learning that myself. I've spent most of my life being more of an orphan, really. 
How many of you know it's not about whether or not you had a mom and dad and whether or not your mom and dad got divorced or not? It's about how loved, accepted, to be just yourself that you felt growing up. And a lot of our parents were orphans themselves who didn't feel loved, who didn't feel valued, who didn't know it was just enough to be themselves. So they didn't know how to communicate that to us. Bless their little hearts. But how many of you know when we accepted Jesus, we became sons and daughters. And the revelation of that will just continue evermore from glory to glory to get that into those deep, deep, deep places. Sons are motivated out of honor and blessing. Even when the outcome isn't, isn't clear, isn't sure. Because there is a confidence when you, when, you know, when, you belong, when you know you belong that you just do the right thing for the right reason just because you know. And you know that God blo- believes in you. Your focus is on that connection with him. Your sense of, I am okay, comes from, he's always there. When you're an orphan, the focus is on what you do, the fruitfulness of your life, how much you can get done, how much you can accomplish. Your focus is on what I can do, what the tangible things I can see out there, what can I measure about myself. And that's kind of what the world does, doesn't it? I mean... Just look on the internet. It's all that. that We get fed that continuously about measuring and comparing. And, and that's just orphan think. And that is not of the kingdom. Not at all. So um, some years ago, well, lots of years ago, uh, before some of you were born years ago... <laughs> Like a, a lot of years ago. Um, like a couple churches ago. <laughs> we were living in North Oakland at the time. We were going to a church in, in North Berkeley at the time, which was a wonderful, sweet little church. It didn't have a lot of the spirit. Um, it was what they call a congregational church, was where you vote on stuff. Yeah. But anyway, that's a long story. I won't go there. <laughs> One day I was minding my own business. I think I had three little kids at the time. So I was a mom. Most Worked a little bit, but mostly I was home with my kids. Um, and, you know, we had a lot... Most of, all of our friends were with the church. And um, that was cool. That was all I anticipated for that church. It was just you go to church, you see your friends... It never dawned on me that I could do ministry or anything like that. So one day, somebody on the elder board thought I had a prophetic gift. I think they'd been to some charismatic church in the past, so they they somehow thought I had a prophetic gift. So out of the blue, somebody calls me and says, hey, how would you like to be an elder? And I remember looking at the phone going, I think I kind of stifled a scream initially, but my, no, I mean... No, I don't want to be an elder. Hung up the phone and I ran around the house screaming at the top of my voice. <laughs> Freaked me out.
out. <sighs> Why would they think I am a lead? I mean, I just felt like I got seen or something, and I didn't like the idea of being seen. I did not want to be seen. Ooh, that's scared. Now, now, if... Of course, we were kind of a church of orphans to a certain extent. If they would have sat down with me and explained why they thought I might want to be an elder or what they saw about me or if it was done more relationally, maybe, I I still don't think I would have agreed to do it. But (laughs) my point being, I was such an orphan that I couldn't even see that I could have any value to God back in those days. That there, at any level, could I be a leader or have any wisdom or help direct a church that just terrified me I guess basically it that was what I was feeling at that point in time yeah um I'm sorry there's something I got the wrong copy of something it's okay this will be all right um So when you're walking in sonship, you just know you have enough. You know you can be generous like we were talking earlier. You know that you can just, there's going to be always be more. You just got to meet with God and there will be more. When you start feeling empty, when you start feeling alone, you know you can go to God and you can get that tank refilled again. There is this flow of his love coming through us and then you can give out because you know there's going to be more. But as an orphan, you're like afraid to give out because you're afraid you're going to get emptied out because that's how it feels. It feels like there's never enough when you are an orphan. Oh, I see what happened. It did something weird on the pages. Now that's good. I'm good now. Sorry. I was on the wrong side. Okay. And I... Oh, whoops. Let's go to the next page. There we go. Um, I think the difference between a orphan and a son is described. Um, John ten ten. This is Jesus saying this: the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, or destroy. And Jesus says, "But I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly." So orphans are really afraid of the thief, of getting lost, of things being taken away, of things being stolen. And got to hold on, got to grab hold, can't let things go. Um, But orphans know that abundant life is theirs to walk in. There will always be more. There will always be enough. In the Passion Translation, it says this, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. That's kingdom reality, that there's actually an overflow. That it's not only we have enough, it is we minister out of the overflow. When you start getting that revelation that that connection is continuous and constant and forever. The abundant life is not about keeping up or comparing ourselves with someone else. It's about trusting God and allowing his life to flow in and through us. 
Abundance is about connection, not attainment, not getting somewhere. It's about the journey, not the arriving. It's about enjoying being and being able to settle into that place of enjoying the process. Not just like, I can't wait until I get her done. I can't wait till I get to that next place. And I'm on that journey too, guys. Okay, to, to get this figured out. <laughs> so how many of you know when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, He's saying, this is what your life on earth is supposed to be like. He's telling you a parable. So the parable of the talents um, it's about a rich man, and he has three servants, and he's going to go on a long journey, so he, he entrusts them with his business, whatever it is, while he's gone. He gives one 5,000. Coins, I think it is, one 2,000 coins and one 1,000 coins. And he does that in proportion to their abilities and their gifts, according to the word. Now, the first two were sons. They knew what their master wanted. They knew how he thought. Right? They invested. They took a. Ri- they knew it was a little risky to invest, but they knew that's what their master would want them to do. Take a risk. Don't play it safe. Take a little bit of a chance. And they invested those coins while he was gone. The third son, the third one, the ser- third servant who had a thousand was an orphan. He was afraid of his master. The other two were not afraid of the master. They were cool. You know, we may, we may do well, we may not. But we're going we're gonna to do what we think the master wants us to do. But the third one was afraid and he buried. Remember that? You guys all know this story. They buried their coins. We're going to play it safe. And so when the master came home, he was not real. He was thrilled with the first two because you guys, you guys know my heart. You knew exactly what I would have done if it was me doing, uh, investing my money. But the third one, he's like, why didn't you at least put it in the bank to gain a little interest? Wouldn't that have been a little safe? But he didn't know his master because he had, you know, we wear lenses where we see the world. How come the two weren't afraid of the master and the third one was saying, you're a, we, I know you're a hard master, but the other two didn't have that perspective. It was those lenses he was looking at his world through. He was seeing rejection everywhere he looked. He was everywhere he looked. He was seeing, I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to get in trouble. Because that's how orphans think. Anxiety and worry and control were driving him. I think I got the right page now. I have the right page now. Cool. And our, th- our thought life matters a lot. Where we spend our thoughts, how, what we focus on. Luke 6.45 says this, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. 
for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What we focus on, we empower. What we pay attention to, we start internalizing, and it becomes what we think about, what we meditate on. It has an impact on us, on how we perceive our world. And Philippians 4.8 says this, So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, all that is honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And that, that scripture immediately follows the scripture about have no anxiety about anything. And part of the reason we want to have no anxiety is so we can keep our focus on these really good things that help us think heavenly thoughts, that help us think God thoughts, that help us think, see things from his perspective. Sons don't have to hustle for their identity. They don't have to prove anything to anybody else. They don't have to strive for attention. They step into a flow of life that is greater than anything they can hope or imagine because they're keeping their eyes on him, realizing... I really can't do anything in my own strength anyway, so why would I try? <laughs> By myself, in my own power. I want to look at another story from the Old Testament. Um, this is First Sam 25. It's the story, probably some of you are familiar with this, of Nabal, Nabal. Bull, not Nabal, Nabal and Abigail. This is way back when David was roaming around the wilderness. Remember that? Saul's chasing him. So Samuel just died. David has been you know, ordained king. However, Saul has not given up his kingship to him. And he's still trying to kill David, running around after him. So David is in Nabal and Abigail's neck of the woods with his mighty men. And Nabal's men are out there shearing the sheep. And David's men are like watching out after him because they're like warriors. They got their swords and they're kind of making sure that Nabal stays safe. Um, And I guess they're getting a little tired of eating nuts and berries because they've been out there in the wilderness like for a long time. And David's like, I want to have a feast. So um, this guy's obviously a rich guy. He's got all these sheep. So he sends his men to ask for food. Because he assumes he's got all these sheep. Surely he could give us a couple sheep and whatever. And Nabal is not a nice guy. According to the scripture, he's a very, he's a grouchy guy. He's an orphan. He does not have a very, he's maybe wealthy, but that doesn't make him generous. And his answer is pretty much, no, I will not. Who who are you and what have you ever done for me? And no, I will not give you anything. Um, So David's men go back to to tell David this. And immediately David gets gets totally ticked off. 
I'm thinking he's got a little displaced anger toward, you know, that should have been the anger maybe towards Saul. But anyway, he is angry, and he's like, okay, guys, get your swords. We're going to go take them out. I mean, this is the man after God's own heart. I, I, whatever. He's the man after God's own heart, but he's ready to kill just because they don't give him food. So, however... One of Nabal's servants is kind of thinking that maybe this wasn't a good idea, that Nabal was just so rejecting and just said no. So he goes to Abigail, who is an honorable woman and a woman of God. And I would suggest to you she is a daughter, and she knows it. Completely different response. She's like, oh, um, better do something about that. And she immediately, now, now this is the point I kind of wanted to make about this story that really shows how much of a daughter she is. She could have just ta- told her servant, okay, just take him a bunch of food. Let's get a bunch of, you know, pies and cakes and whatever, sheep and lamb and whatever, whatever, and send it to them. But she did not do that. She had all the food get ready, but she went herself to talk to David. Now, this is a man who just threatened to kill you, to kill your whole family and all your servants. And she is willing to go face him herself. She could have just sent a servant because, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But she went herself and she apologized to him for her husband's behavior. And this is what David says. Again, you know, a little while earlier, he's like, we're going to go kill all those guys. That's it. Nobody's going to be left alive, or at least none of the men are going to be left alive, I think is what he said. But then David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discretion and advice. And blessed be you who have kept me today from blood guiltiness and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has prevented me from hurting you, if you had not hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning there would not have been left so much as one male to Nabal. So basically, her willingness to just do what she knew was the right thing to do because she had that courage of saying, I am a daughter. I know this is the right thing to do. And she came and she faced him and she did the right thing. She gave him the food. All is good. Of course, the end of the story, which doesn't have a lot to do with what I'm saying, but it's kind of interesting. So Nabal is drunk while all this is happening. Yeah. A guy of great integrity, right? He is drunk. So she comes home. She's not going to tell him what happened because he's too drunk. The next morning she tells him, and who knows the end of the story? He dies. That's it. He's gone. I guess it was too much for his little ticker or something. You did what with my... Anyway, he died, and actually she ends up marrying David. (laughs) Interesting story. I don't think that was her motivation. I don't think that was her motivation being... I think part of being a a son or a daughter 
is you just know when it's the right thing. And even if it's going to take some courage to do it and to face that situation, you're going to do it because it is right and you know God is with you. Right? And hey, it paid off in this case. Yay. Good for her. So I want to shift a little bit more, a little bit here, um, because part of what I've been seeing and part of what I've experiencing as God has moved on my heart to reveal to me what it is to be a daughter is it starts feeling like a river. It starts feeling like a flow. And... um, All throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, there are so many references to rivers over and over and over again. Psalm 36, 8 and 9. Love this. This this is the passion. All may drink of the anointing from the abundance of your house, All may drink their fill from the delightful springs of Eden. To know you is to experience a flowing fountain. Drinking in your life, springing up to satisfy. In the light of your holiness, we receive the light of revelation. All may drink their fill. That is what it feels like when you know you belong. It feels like you're enough. And it's the only place where you start to feel like you really are enough. When you know that you know that you know that you belong, when you get that little glimpse, it's enough. And that is what that flow of that river does for us. And a story about Bill Boehner. (laughs) Um, Because I saw the river at work out on the streets in San Francisco. We, uh, Bill used to lead us in an outreach to San Francisco. And we would go out and we would minister to the homeless. And I still remember this particular time so distinctly because it so impacted me. Um... We were giving out sandwiches. We were handing out gloves and hats, I think. And we were just trying to go as to wherever God led us. And Bill was doing a fabulous job of, of leading us and, and helping us, you know. Okay, where it, should we go this way? Should we go that way? And most of the encounters were fine, and they were, you know, appreciative, appreciative you know, cordial. But there weren't, you know, not necessarily there were any deep encounters. But this particular encounter, it was this group of young men. I think most of them were young men, maybe a dozen. And they were high on, they were high. (laughs) They were high on something. I think probably high on heroin or something. Um, But God drew me to one particular man named Tim. And I've continued to pray for Tim. And Tim and I had an encounter, and I I just started releasing some words to him, and we just made eye contact, and he sobered right up. I just saw 
that river of life start pouring into him. And he's weeping, and we're hugging. And towards the end of it, Tim finally says, I have got to call my mom and my dad. He was just taking it in that God loved him. Now, I don't know where Tim is now. I can't tell you. I have continued to pray for him because I felt that river that you are a son. I believe in you. God believes in you. I could feel that go into them. You know what I mean. It's, it's not like every meeting you have with people, but there are those ones, and you can feel that flow. That's the river I'm talking about. Where they, you know that you know that you know there's been that heart connection. Because one of my favorite all-time scriptures is this one. (laughs) Where Jesus says, and Jesus stood and shouted out to the crowds, All you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you. Flowing from your innermost being, just like the scriptures said. That flow of life is in each one of you. And the more you believe you are a son or the daughter, the more freely that river flows. It's already there in each one of you. Every single one of you, it's already there. But the more and the more and the more you see it, you can see it. The more you see the pleasure in his eyes, the more you start embracing, yes, I am accepted. Just as I am. It's not about what I could do for him in a million years. And it's not about what I do wrong or when I miss it. I'm just a newborn baby in his arms and there's not a thing I can do for him. Really. Not really, when you stop to think about it. Really. You know, Jesus could have done all the ministry. Why did he tap his disciples? He could have done it all so much better for than any of them. But he's like, but I wanted to be a partnership with you in all ways. Yeah. At all times, in all ways. So interesting, this word, river, in the Old Testament. The root word actually has to do with to occupy, it's a substance that brings life, it brings restoration, and it's an inheritance. So in the same way, a son, what do you inherit? Do you deserve, do any of us deserve to inherit anything from our parents? We don't deserve a thing. We inherit because we belong to them. We inherit just because their mom, their dad, I'm daughter, I get the inheritance. It's because of who I am. I get the inheritance. I find it fascinating that the root for river is inherit, inheritance. It's something we are given freely, no strings attached, no strings attached, freely given. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. And this river of the Holy Spirit is sent to revive, to purify, 
to bring wholeness, to bring completeness. It's that river, that same river that comes through you is that river that comes from the throne room, right? It's that same river. The goal of the river is to refresh, is to restore, is to put things back the way they should always should have been. To restore the godly inheritance we were born into way back when, before we started thinking otherwise. So, one of the scriptures about this river from Ezekiel. The river that flows from the temple. This water flows toward the eastern region, region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed and everything will live wherever that river goes. That river is in each one of you. That river is our lifeblood. It's the river Jesus brought with him from heaven and released on earth. So it's everything good, everything fitting, everything pure, it's yours. It's yours. You inherited already when you became mine. It's yours. And there will always be enough. And there's always more. Just God, just right now going to ask God, would you continually remind us of how thirsty we are for the sweetness of this river, of the sweetness of what pours out from you? Because it's so good. So I mentioned that this week I had a little inner healing thing happen, (laughs) which I needed. Um, I'm going to keep this story intentionally a little vague because I wouldn't want it to get on the podcast. I don't think that'll be a problem, but I'm going to keep the story just um, nonspecific. But a couple weeks ago, I had to give somebody some news they didn't want to hear. And before you look around, it's nobody in this room. Okay? <laughs> nobody in this room. Probably nobody who would ever listen to the podcast most, more than most, definitely. But however, <laughs> when I gave them this news, mm-hmm, yeah, orphan spirit kicked up. They were very, very, very unhappy with me. And their first reaction was to try and punish me however they could. <laughs> um, and Because how many of you know, it's, I think in First John, it says fear has to do with punishment. When we feel scared, I mean, why do, bully, why do bullies do what they do? Because they're scared to death down deep. So they've got to punish other people 
because down deep they feel punished. So first reaction was to try and punish me and what can I say to make you feel bad? What can I... Anyway, I felt kind of sorry for him, but it it was a little shocking, but I also kind of felt bad for them, like, really? Anyway, so part of what happened when I had this little unexpected ministry moment where I was kind of in the middle and I was, I was picked to receive, so I said, sure, I'll, I'll receive. Two things happened that I want to share. The first was I got more in touch than I had ever been since I was little with my true self, what's called our original self. I got really in touch, which was amazing after like an hour of, of crying my eyeballs out. <laughs> releasing a bunch of things. That was the first thing that happened. And the second thing that happened was God took me back in the spirit to that moment where I was facing that person who was so very, very unhappy with me. But this time I went, my original self went, and Jesus, I can't quite describe what exactly happened, but... We were like one. He was in me. I was in him. We are facing a very, very unhappy person. If it was a cartoon, there'd be smoke coming out their ears. (laughs) And we are facing this person who's so angry. And the love of God is pouring through me just like a river. That's our God. That's our God. That is the nature of his love. It pours through to all. No matter how, what space they're in, no matter how mad, no matter how far away, his love pours through through just like that unconditional that's unconditional love it's like he couldn't even stop smiling (laughs) he is facing a fuming person he cannot stop smiling at her it's like he, he didn't even see it he did not even see her rage couldn't see it huh And how is it that he's looking at you right now? On your good days, on your not so good days. He can't stop smiling. (laughs) And his smiling, his smile doesn't even get any bigger. It's just always huge. It's always huge. His approval for you is perfect. It's us who think he changes or moves away. Yeah. So I think what might be good is maybe put on some quiet. Would that be okay? Quiet soaking. Would that be okay, you guys? Oh, quiet soaking music. You can certainly stay in your seats or if you
you'd like to lie down or whatever position for you to just make a connection with God right now. I'm just going to invite you to recognize where Jesus is right now. And I ask Jesus you would just move anything out of the way that would be causing distraction or doubt and help us to recognize where you are for us right now each one of us remember when when have we felt that river flow in our life when have we been aware remind us of the time when we felt that perfect unconditional acceptance there's any tension any worries I just ask that Jesus you would wash that away right now that there's nothing there's nothing we need to carry that there's nothing we need to worry about that you already have it all in mind you understand it all If you're aware of where Jesus is right now, I want you just to just look at him. Look at where you are. Look at what's going on around you. See if there's anything you're hearing or seeing. Smelling.
What does Jesus want you to know about yourself right now? What would it mean to you to know that Jesus would completely fill you? What would it mean to you to know that his eyes that gaze on you never glare, never look away, never disapprove, but always believe in you, always approve of you? What would that mean? What would it mean for your life if you knew you didn't have to add one thing to what's going on right now to get his approval? just one more thing I think and Jesus will you show each one here a little bit more about how you see their true self what does it feel like to live from that
and show him, Jesus, how much you enjoy that place with them. How are you guys doing? You can certainly continue to um, hang out with Jesus. And I think parents have a couple more minutes before you need to leave. Whoa. I can't say it feels really good up here. (laughs) And I might encourage you as you kind of, there's something you'd like to share with somebody about what's been going on. Yeah, feel free to to connect with one another and just share. Um, So we help each other, don't we, on this journey together. Well, I'm just going to pray a closing prayer. And if you're not ready to have a conversation... There is no, you do not have to, okay? You can just continue with God. I am just praying, Lord, um, for whatever space with you got opened up, Lord, that you would just seal that place and you would make it just easy to access and get back there and continue to explore deeper, 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 and deeper places in you, God. Because we know, well, there's more. <laughs> and there's always more exploring your love, and the incredible place of being enjoyed and delighted in. For many of us, that's kind of a new or a newish concept. Oh, but I bless each one of you to know you are enjoyed and delighted in by the heart of God. You are his idea. You're all 100% his idea and he loves those or who are his so I bless you and I ask you God just to continue to grow this place for each one of us who in your mighty name Jesus